0: Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First though, if you haven't yet experienced Emanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today. and We hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It truly is a joy and a blessing to be here with you today. Hey, really super quick, if this is your first time at any one of our locations, our Banda campus, our Franklin campus, our Garfield Park campus, our online campus, if you're watching somewhere across the country or the world, and here at the Greenwood campus if this is your first time, can we give it up? We want to say welcome to you. We could give it up for all of our first-time guests? We've prayed for you and planned for you and prepared for you, and uh, we're thankful you accepted someone's invitation. If you text the word new to 65248, we'd be glad to send you a gift in the mail. If you're not brand new, hey, welcome back. And we started a series last week called The Kid Factor, and I want to jump right into our content again today. Little bit of a review if you missed last week. Last week we started with this idea that the goal of life is maturity. It's to grow up, right? Whether it's in your home, whether you're a teacher and it's in a classroom, whether you're a coach of a sports team or some athletic team, or whether you're in a company and you have co-workers and employees, the goal of life is maturity. When people are mature, when they're responsible, when they're considerate, when they take ownership of their life, things Tend to work much better than when they're irresponsible, right? Acting like children or having childishness in their life, right? Irresponsibility and blame shifting, right? You say, man, you're talking about my spouse right now. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we had some maturity in our marriages? Wouldn't marriage go better if your spouse grew up a little bit, right? I'm sure my wife thinks that about me sometimes. If he would just grow up, things would get better, right? Maturity makes everything work better. Even in the church, like the goal of the church, the goal of this sermon, the goal of everything we do here is to grow people up. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said that God has given the church, apostles, teachers, prophets, evangelists, to build up and equip the body, to edify the body so that each one of us can, can reach full maturity, to reach the full measure of the, of the stature of Jesus Christ. Whoa. That's the whole point of the church is maturity and growth. And then Jesus comes along, and he throws a wrench in the whole system. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, we looked at this last week. Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless you change, unless you do a 180, the word is to repent, and become like little children, not just a 10-year-old, but like a 3-year-old, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Heaven. Now, last week we talked about what the kingdom means. The kingdom does not mean the place you go when you die. It includes that. But the kingdom is the space where God is right here, right now. He gave us this prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus did. He said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is done in heaven. In other words, the kingdom of God is that space where God is acting, where God is dwelling With you, like the design of your life is to live with God right now and experience joy and peace and meaning and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction while you're here, while you're alive now, not just after you die. Jesus says, if you want to live in the kingdom of God, you have to reverse and go and become like little children. There must be something about children that qualifies us for kingdom living. Last week, we looked at this idea that children are dependent upon their parents. In other words, the kingdom of God is designed to be a dependent, experience, not an independent experience where we're like acting like little gods. I'm getting into it too much. I talked about this last week. But basically what I said last week is if you want to live in the kingdom, you have to live a dependent life upon God. The vine stays connected to the, the, the branch stays connected to the vine. Okay, enough of that last week. That's what we talked about last week. Today I want to talk to you about another quality of childlikeness, not childishness, child likeness that qualifies us for kingdom living. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that. Here it is right here. Children believe easily. Children believe easily. Have you noticed this? Children believe what you tell them, especially little children. Like they haven't lived long enough to experience the depth of Humans' human beings' abilities to deceive and manipulate. <laughs> they, they haven't developed a, 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 a cynicism or a skepticism in their life. They haven't li, lived long enough to be lied to over and over and over as we adults have, yes? And so they don't have this skepticism or cynicism. They just simply believe. This is why parents tell their kids crazy stuff. Right, moms, moms and dads? You keep sitting too close to that TV, you're gonna go blind. No, you're not. We just tell our kids that. You drink coffee, it's going to stunt your growth. No, it won't. We just don't want them to drink coffee. If you keep acting up, we're never going on vacation again. (laughs) That's not true. You're just trying to get your kids to behave, right? I mean, we tell our kids crazy stuff. It's because we know that they will believe us. A few years ago, I was having some, some heart uh, palpitations, and it was like 10 years ago. I was like, man, what's going on? I think I was drinking too much coffee, really. But anyway, uh, I didn't know it at the time. And so I went to the doctor, and, and he wired me up with a, with a heart monitor. Anybody ever have one of these? I, like, hey, wear it for 48 hours, and, you know, we got these stickers on my chest and all this stuff, and I had like a pack over here and a pack over here, and it had lights on it. It was real cool. And I was all wired up. So I go home that night, and I'm like, man, how can I get some leverage out of this? This is a unique experience. And so I sit down around the dinner table. I'm like, oh, I had this brilliant idea. I said, kids, listen up. Dad has invented a time machine. <laughs> what? You know, Andrew was nine. Bo was seven. Ruby was five. You know, it was real small. And, and they're like, really? I'm like, nah, you no. Know, time machine? Do you? I said, yeah, I have. I have been working on it for a long time. You know? I said, well, what where is it? And I and I slowly took my shirt off. And I'm all wired up, you know, wires, packs, and all this stuff. Jackie was there. You remember this, right, honey? She was halfway, believing me. I'm very convincing sometimes. And my kids are like, whoa. My kids look at my nine-year-old. My nine-year-old, he was like. But he was halfway there. I said, here's how it's gonna work, guys. I said, I'm going to go in the other room. I'll show you how it works after dinner. Here's what I'm going to go in the back room. You don't want to see me because my body distorts, and when it happens, it's just kind of gross. So, so I'll go in the bedroom, and then I'll hit the date, and the date will bring me back. You know, I said, I'm going to go to 1985. It's a good year, and so I'm going to tell you everything I see when I come back. And so after dinner was over, I go back in the bedroom, and, and, and I let out this, this horrific shriek, scream, noise. I can't even make it right now because I'd freak half of you guys out, but I was trying to be so loud. I was like, ah! You know, something like that. And then I shoot under the bed, and, and the kids come, I hear them come racing back in the bedroom. Where is he, mom? He's gone. Oh, my gosh. You know, and they're freaking, and I'm dying. I'm like, you know, under the bed, Jackie's losing it. And I, it went on for like, you know, 40 seconds or whatever, a minute, and I just couldn't hold it in. And, and, and then they found me, and, and they, they, you know, they brought, you know, and, and we've had trust issues in our house ever since. But uh, No, but, but, but I got them. I got them. You know what I'm talking about? And my oldest, to this day, he will, he will swear to you, and you know, when he's 19 now, so when you see him, he comes back from college or whatever, you gotta ask him about question. Say, did, your dad got you, didn't he? <laughs> he? He insists that I didn't get him, but I did. I did, he believed. <laughs> Children believe, easily, they do. They're not wired up to be cynical. They don't say things like, show me some proof, give, give me the data, I need some more evidence. They don't do that. Jesus is saying, if you want to live with me in the kingdom and experience joy and peace and meaning and purpose and all these wonderful things that I've designed for you, abundant life, eternal life, you have to believe like a child. You have to have childlike faith. I wrote it in your notes like this. In order to live in the kingdom, you must trust Jesus completely like children trust their parents when they're very young. this is where we struggle because we adults, we struggle with faith. We struggle to believe For whatever reason, maybe you grew up in a house that pitted science against faith, and so for you, faith is anti-intellectual. For you, faith is for people who need a crutch. They're not that smart, and so you struggle to believe. Maybe you prayed a prayer when you were very young, or maybe in your 20s, and God didn't answer it, and so and so died, and it didn't work out, and you're like, you know what, I tried faith one time, it didn't work out. Maybe you struggle to believe because of all the hypocrisy in the church and this pastor stole money and this pastor ran away with another woman who wasn't his wife or some politician claims Christianity, blah, 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 but acts a different way in private. And there's a lot of hypocrisy. And so maybe you struggle to believe because of the hypocrisy. Maybe you struggle to believe because there's sincerely not enough evidence you feel to believe in God. Maybe you struggle to believe because you grew up in a a rules-based church years and years ago and it's all about the rules, and if if you obey them, you're in. If you don't obey them, you're out. Maybe you struggle to believe because all your friends around you don't believe. You know, we tend to be the average of the five closest people to us, as the famous quote says. You tend to become like the people you run with, right? Maybe you don't believe because none of your friends believe. But I think most of us struggle to believe because we've outgrown our faith, When we let go of Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny, we let go of the Bible because we just grew up. I mean, come on, seriously. Jonah gets swallowed by a whale? Really? I mean, Noah takes two of every kind onto the ark? That's a nice kid's story. I mean... They march around Jericho seven times and the walls fall down. I mean, these are great stories, but come on, I'm 35 years old now. We've outgrown our faith. We struggle. We struggle to believe. Now, there are some people here today watching in one of our locations. You have zero faith. You are an atheist, and we are so glad you're watching, and our hope is you take a step towards faith. But I don't think that's a large percentage of people today. I don't think there's people out there that have absolutely zero faith in God. I think most of us fall into a different category. I think most of us fall into the category of this guy in Mark chapter 9 who's a dad. And he's got this son who's unfortunately demon-possessed. Ever since he was a little boy, this demon would seize him and throw him down on the ground, try to get him in the fire, try to kill him. And this dad, like any of us dads would, would, was trying to fix the problem. So he brings his son to the disciples, Jesus' disciples, and they could not help him. They tried, and they could not get this demon out of this boy. So in desperation, the father finds his way through the crowds, fights his way through the crowds, finally gets to Jesus, and he says, have mercy on us if you can. Imagine saying that to Jesus. If you can. Jesus responds, if I can. All things are possible for the person who believes. And then the father, in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, responds, with a statement that I think captures most of us today where we're at with our faith. Listen to what he says. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. You gotta understand, I'm I'm 60% there, but there's 40% of me that doesn't believe. You gotta understand, I'm I'm 70% there, but there's 30% of doubt. I'm I'm 20% there, but I'm 80% doubting. I don't know where you are today, but there's a mixture. There's a mixture of faith and doubt. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief because of the home I grew up in, the hypocrisy in the church, this, that, this, that, whatever it is. We struggle to believe easily. We struggle to believe completely. Is this not true? I mean, this is true of me. I grew up in New York City. We were trained to be skeptical in New York City. (laughs) I mean, you, you had to, you know, every phone call, somebody's pulling a scam. If you're walking on the street, make sure you cross the side. If the person looks suspicious, like, make sure you don't get pickpocketed. Like, I had these conversations my whole life. Like, be skeptical. I struggle with this because I'm cynical and I'm skeptical. And I'm always like, yeah, but I don't know. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. What if this dad, let me ask a question real quick. What if this dad in Mark chapter 9, which I think represents most of us, we're a mixture what if this dad really knew who Jesus was? What if he really, in his heart of hearts, knew who he was bringing his son to? How would the conversation have been different? If you can help us? Wouldn't it have sounded something more like this? <clears throat> um, hey Jesus, I know you've got a lot to do today. And um, I just need you to squeeze my little boy in here. He's got this demon, keeps throwing him on the ground, foaming at the mouth, and all this gross stuff. Just tell him to come out, real quick. You know, probably zap him real quick. Okay, let's go. I got to go to lunch. <laughs> Think about how the conversation would have been different if he knew who. Jesus was. Wasn't this the problem that the boys in the boat were having <laughs> in Matthew chapter 8, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament? They're on the boat. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is in the boat with them. He's taking a nap. All of a sudden, a storm comes out of nowhere and waves and wind are, are, are beating the boat up to the point where they feel like they're going to drown and they're going to die. So they wake Jesus up to their credit. At least they go to Jesus, right? And they're like, hey, get up. You know, we're going to die here. Jesus gets up. What does he say to these guys in Matthew chapter 8? Do you know the story? He says, "Why are you so afraid, oh you of little faith?" He calls them mini faiths. Why do you have such little faith? Why have you given in to fear? And God Jesus could ask you that same question today over the last year. "Why have you given in to fear?" Well, there's COVID, there's this, there's that. People are dying. Listen, the waves in the boat were real. They weren't make-believe waves. Like, these guys had reasons to be, to, to be afraid of, of losing their life, and Jesus still says, why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? Why did he make such a statement? It's almost an insult. It's because Jesus knew who he was, and they didn't. Jesus knew that at any moment he could stand up and talk to the winds and the waves, and, the whole storm would stop, and sure enough, that's what he does. He gets up, and he rebukes the winds and the waves, and they calm down, in there, and the whole sea becomes peaceful. And then the disciples see this, and look what they respond. Look what they say in verse 27. They were amazed, and they said, who is this man? Who is he? They thought they were following a godly man. Maybe he was a prophet. Maybe he was a righteous guy. But we did not understand that this guy can even talk to the winds and the waves and they will do what he says. This, who is this guy? If we had known he had that kind of power, we wouldn't have given in to what? Beer. We wouldn't have become afraid. I wrote this in your notes. See, we struggle to believe, and I struggle to believe because we don't really know who we are dealing with. And for you teachers out there, I know the, the, the correct grammar is whom. Okay, I just like the word who better. <laughs> who? We don't know who we're dealing with. If we knew who we were dealing with, what would happen to our fear? It wouldn't be any. It's like, hey, listen, Jesus, a uh, big storm coming up. I don't know if you see the water in the boat here. Our shoes are getting wet. Can you, you know, fix this? Imagine how the conversation would've been different had they known who he was. Can you imagine how your life could've been different this year if you would've really known who he was? How much peace you could've had in the midst of the storms. Wow. Jesus is looking for us to believe easily, like a child, like a little child. This is how we enter into the kingdom and find peace and joy in the midst of winds and waves and problems Difficulty. So what does this look like practically? A person believes easily like a child. Two things. Number one, you bank on what Jesus said. If you believed who he was, you would believe what he said. It's really not that complicated. Jesus said something about fear, you believe it. Jesus said something about marriage, you believe it. Jesus said something about sexuality, you believe it. Jesus said something about lying, you believe it. Jesus said something about obeying your parents, you believe it. When you believe someone, when you trust in someone, you believe what they said. C.S. Lewis made this comment. There would be no sense in saying that you trusted Jesus if you would not take his advice. I mean, think about it. Come on, think with me for a second. Some of you are claiming to trust Jesus. You don't do what he says financially in your marriage, in your sexuality, you do whatever you want to do. And yet you're saying, well, I trust Jesus, I'm a believer, i Wait a second, to, to, to trust somebody is to actually bank on what they said. Like Jesus knows everything about everything, so when you read his words, you're like, well, he knew that, like, I'm just gonna do what he said because he's the smartest being in the world. Like, that's what someone does when you trust so that's when you when you believe in somebody you do what they say like when you go to the doctor and the doctor and you trust your doctor and the doctor says hey i need you to cut out the, the bad fats and i need you to start exercising and i need you to do some like if you trust your doctor you do what your doctor says to not do what your doctor says is just really not trust him so what's the point Jesus was confused when people wouldn't do what he said listen Luke chapter 6 verse 46 why do you call me lord lord why do you say i'm your master and you don't do what I say. See, this is this is confusing. It should confuse you. Why do I go to church? Why do I say Jesus is my Lord? Why do I say I believe in him, but I don't follow anything he says? This is a contradiction. To not do what Jesus says is really not to believe in who he is. You follow me? Yes sir. Lot, I know we're not getting a lot of amen say. This is tough. Can somebody amen that last one? I thought that was pretty good. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You know what it looks like? I love this story in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is preaching on the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and uh, the, the crowd is pressing in on him, and he's losing space. And he's getting backed into the water. So he hops in a boat that's right there, Peter's boat. Peter was fishing, and they were cleaning their nets, and gets in the boat, pushes out from the sea, finishes his sermon. Watch what happens next. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out to where it's deep, and let down your nets. Catch some fish. Which... Peter responds, listen to what he says, listen to what Peter says. I love this. Master, we have been fishing all night. We worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, not a fish. Now, I want to just pause here for, for just a second and, and try to create, you know, imagine some of the dynamics that are going on here. Peter is a fisherman, like this is his job. He has a crew, he's got helpers. Jesus is not a fisherman. He worked with wood, he is a preacher. Now, the preacher who works with wood is telling the fisherman what to do to catch fish. Can you imagine? Peter's like, um, hey, bud, (laughs) we love you, but we know what's going on with fish, and they are not biting, okay, and we worked all night, and you really, come on, why don't you stick to the sermons and the woodwork? And so there's a there's a struggle here, and and we struggle sometimes with things that Jesus said. It's like Jesus, I ah, man, it's 2020. Do you really, did you really mean what you said about sex? Like, like, 2020 people move in with each other. They they drive the car before they buy the car. You know what I'm saying? Like, aren't aren't your teachings on sex a little outdated? <laughs> like, do you ever disagree with Jesus? Anybody? Then I mean, you're not reading his words because he said some pretty tough stuff. When we disagree with him, as Peter's disagreeing with him, there's this tension. But I, I love what, 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 what triggers here. What, 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 there's, there's something that, that pops here. It's, it's Peter's childlike, easy faith. Watch this. But if you say so. See, that's childlike faith. Like, I don't get it. You want me to give 10% of my finances? You want me to keep sex for marriage? You want me to do this? You want me to do that? All this different stuff. You say all these, you know, obey my parents. I mean, you say all this stuff in this book. Like, I don't really get it. Like, I'm not. But, watch this. Here we go. If you say, why would Peter say that? Because Peter knew who he was. We're dealing with God in a body. We're dealing with the creator of the heavens and the earth, the alpha and the omega, the one that holds all things together by the word of his power. We're dealing with Jesus Christ, the master of the universe, the one who created the stars. Look, if he says it, that's fine, I'll do it. I may not understand it, but if you say so, we'll let down our nets. So they let down our nets. And they go out and they catch so many fish, the fish almost sink the boats. They got to call out help. Peter's got to call out his buddy. They fill that boat with fish. It almost sinks. They do what he said and they were entirely blessed. You don't want to know what it looks like to have childlike faith. You just bank on what he said, even when you don't agree. Secondly, you bank on what he did. He didn't just talk a lot. He did a lot of unbelievable things. One time there's a bunch of Jews that that got around Jesus in the temple in John chapter 10, and they said, Jesus, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Listen to what he says in verse 25 of chapter 10. Jesus responds and says, I've already told you I'm the Messiah, and you have not believed. I've said the words, and you're like, No, you're not. So because you're not hearing what I'm saying or believing what I say, I'm saying. Look at the proof. The proof is in the work of that, that I do in my Father's name. What was Jesus referring to? He was referring to his miracles. Have you ever wondered why Jesus performed so many miracles? I mean, he walked on water, he turned water into wine, he gave blind people back their sight, he gave deaf people back their ability to heal, he took people's legs when they were lame, gave them back their ability to walk. Jesus took some, a little bit of fish, a little bit of bread, turned it into enough food to feed 4,000 people, then he did it again to feed 5,000 people. I mean, have you ever thought about why so many miracles? The point of the miracles was to help us believe in what he was saying, the point of the miracles was to prove his divinity, his deity, that he is the son of God so that we would, say it with me, believe. The whole point of the miracles is to produce faith in us so that we can believe easily. Wait, 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 this is the guy that walks on water. This is the guy that can speak to a storm and make the winds and the waves stop. This is the guy that gave the blind man to sight. This is the guy that turned the water into wine. Like, you gotta think about these miracles all the time because when you think about the miracles, it increases your faith. Even if you don't like what Jesus said, you can look at what he did and bank on it. Now, let me ask you a question here today, church. Which one of his miracles was the most important miracle? Which miracle is the foundational miracle for our faith? Was it when he walked on water? Was, he, was it when he walked through the walls and suddenly appeared to the, to the disciples in the, a, a, after, he, after he died? What, 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 when, what miracle was the best one? Was it when he raised a little girl? Remember, he raised a little girl from the dead? Which miracle is like, oh man, that's the one? None of them. None of those miracles are the most important miracle. You want to know what the most important miracle was? It was when Jesus took his life back from the dead. Yeah, that's right. He said, nobody takes it from me. I lay it down. The Father's given me the power to take it back up, and that's exactly what he did. He died on a cross. We were just singing about it. On a rugged cross. The Romans thought that they had got their guy. The Jews thought that they had got their guy. They didn't get their guy. He gave his life for you, and for me and then he took it back up that is the greatest miracle we have ever known amen this is the way this is the way the apostle paul explained it nobody can explain it better than him so let's just look at his words in 1 Corinthians 15 for if there is no resurrection if dead people do not come back to life then Christ has not been raised and if Christ has not been raised we got issues if Christ has not been raised, then all of the preachers from that time until today, my preaching including, I- included, is useless. This word useless is empty, void, meaningless, purposeless, of, of no value. And not only is all the preaching pointless, your faith is useless. How can he, how can he say this? That the resurrection is the pivotal is the foundational miracle of all miracles. Here's why, because Jesus said to his disciples before he died, before he was crucified, before he came back to life, he told them he was gonna do that. And so if he didn't rise from the dead, then he was a liar and should be written out of all the history books as a lunatic and a liar. It's completely worth everything we have if he didn't rise from the dead as a church for the last 2,000 years is a sham if he didn't rise from the dead. And on top of that, if he didn't rise from the dead, then we still have to deal with sin. Like sin still separates us from God. Like if Christ didn't die and rise from the dead, then he didn't pay the penalty. He did not conquer sin and death. And we still have to pay for our own sins. So your faith is useless without the resurrection. And so Paul says, everything depends upon this one miracle that Christ came back from the dead. If you don't believe what he said, if you struggle with his teachings, look at what he did and bank on it. Listen, if somebody rose from the dead, right? And there were 500 witnesses and telling them, you know, saw Christ come back to life and they spent time, it's all in the New Testament. It's all, like people spent time with him, they touched him, they ate breakfast with him. You had all these eyewitnesses that Christ came back to life, that he died and came back to life. then then I'm going to believe the guy who took his life back from the grave. How about you? I'm just going to believe what he said. I'm just going to bank on what he said because of what he did. And so for me, people people ask, how do you have such strong faith? I don't really think I have such strong faith. I just think, like, I know who he is. Like, I know who Jesus is. And I'm like, if you say so, done. I'm not going to argue with you. Because you are the Son of God. You created the heavens and the earth. You took your life back from the grave. And that's why my faith is an easy faith. I just trust Him. Will you? Will you bank? On Jesus I'm banking on Jesus <laughs> the question is will you bank on him and when you bank on him you suddenly find yourself living with more peace and more joy and more purpose and more wisdom and more understanding and life begins to work because you're maturing and you're growing and the way you did it is by doing a 180 and becoming like a little child how ironic is that will you bank on Jesus Oh, I hope you will. Now, there's some of you here today, I hope you'll bank on Jesus for the first time. <laughs> you've come here and you, didn't have a, you don't have a relationship with Christ, but maybe you've heard something today that's opened up your heart and you would like to start a relationship with God. You're, I'm not talking about joining a church or religion or getting baptized or any, any type of you know, aspect of a ritual or religion. I'm talking about reaching out to God in faith and asking him to forgive you of your sins and starting a relationship with him. If that's where you're at today, at any one of our locations watching online, maybe you're watching from a different state, maybe you're watching from from Michigan or Pennsylvania or California or Texas or New York or New Jersey, wherever you're watching from, whatever location, if if you feel God tugging on your heart right now, this is your moment. Don't quench that. God's pulling you in saying, I want this for you. Trust me, I sent my son to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sin. He came back to life three days later so that we could be in a relationship. Will you bank on me today? If you'd like to do that, I'm gonna say a simple prayer, prayer of faith, reach out with childlike faith and trust him and step into the kingdom. Just say this to him, dear Jesus, I trust you. As a little child, I drop my skepticism, my cynicism, my need for evidence, proof, and data. I just, I just trust you, taking a step of faith Believe you died for me and you rose again because you love me. Wash me of my sin, make me as white as snow. Be my savior today. And from this day forward, help me to believe easily. Help me to bank on what you said and what you did so I can live in the kingdom with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. God's changing lives, he's touching hearts. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we have put together a special gift for you. We call it our Save Box. Inside this box, there's a Bible, there's some instructions on how to get connected to the church, baptism. There's also a special coffee cup in here just to say congratulations if you prayed that prayer. If you're at any one of our locations, you can text the word SAVE to 65248 and pick one of these up at the information desk in the lobby. If you're watching online and you trusted Christ today, put some information in there, we'll send one to you in the mail. Can we give it up for God one more time, what he's doing in our lives, amen.